This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation. My name is Eric Kimberling, and I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, as always. For the show today, we've got a great show for you today with Kyler and I. We've got some hot topics to start the conversation. Those hot topics are going to range from AI and hardware chips. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence in hardware chips. We're going to talk about capital being raised for clean energy. We're going to talk about digital enforcement versus digital inclusion. I have no idea where that part of the conversation is going to go. So I'm, I'm going to learn along with the audience on, on that one for sure. And then we're going to talk about emergence of cryptocurrency in the Philippines. And then finally, last but not least, in the hot topic segment, we will cover the four types of business transformation. And then last but not least, we'll have a panel discussion later in the show. We're going to I have a panel discussion talking about our 2023 Digital Transformation Report, which was just released a few weeks ago, something you can download on our website. I've also included links to that Digital Transformation Report in the notes of this podcast, so be sure to check that out. Um, So we had a panel discussion, really talk about some of the findings and lessons from that Digital Transformation Report, which is an annual report that we publish each year. Excuse me. And so that's going to be the last segment for today. But before we get to the other guests on the show, Kyler, what about these hot topics? What have you got for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really excited about today's hot topics because I think there's a lot of emerging technologies in it, as well as some some really granular case studies that we'll talk through, um, which will set up the conversation nicely for going into one of the biggest failures um, in digital transformation history that we've seen. Uh, so the first thing I want to start with is AI, um, specifically in um, in retina technology uh, and talk through what that means for that one inch chip device. So here in the United States at the University of Central Florida, the researchers there have built a device for artificial intelligence that replicates the retina of an eye. So if you, uh, you know, lost an eye in an accident or even want to enhance your vision, um, hundreds of devices are fitting into this really small one inch chip that is a really compact technology, which is a little bit different that we've seen in a lot of autonomous or AI based technologies such as um, self-driving vehicles. So this is a kind of a big movement in that field on the hardware side. Uh, so basically what it, it has the capacity to do um, in sensor type of computing using a single device on one small platform, as opposed to multiple devices or technologies on um, multi-tenant platforms. So my question for you um, that I found kind of interesting is, is this device has about 70 to 80% accuracy in its infancy, which means, you know, it could be really realized as a, 
a substantial piece of hardware and moving forward. So we've moved to wearables. We've kind of gone into, um, you know, healthcare based technologies as well. So my question to you on a surface level is, would you put an eye in your body that can see 70 to 80% of the time? Um, I don't know. It depends on who has access to it and right. uh, what, what they do with that information, I suppose. Um, I don't think I would right now, to be honest, but, yeah. uh, I, but I could see the benefit of it for sure. I just don't trust, uh, I don't trust that process right now in the, in the world we live in, to be honest. Absolutely. I think um, in all seriousness, the uh, the evolution of that chip-based technology, which we know has been a real hot topic and hot trend in the industry of figuring out how to manufacture this. So something I'd love our audience feedback on is, do you think that manufacturing this one um, small chip in domestically, wherever you are in, in the world, could actually be something that could function within the supply chain. So Eric, I'll, I'll ask that to you first. And then audience, I'd love your feedback in the comments on wherever you're watching. And you'd say that question again, what would what would what work in the supply chain? Yeah, the, the small, this really small device in manufacturing domestically. So could we actually get it to consumers quickly as opposed to the challenges we have with chip manufacturing and supply chain in our current climate? Well, I suppose they we have to figure that out because um, you know, as, as we've talked about in this show before, chip manufacturing shortages is creating a lot of problems for producers and manufacturers throughout the world, including uh, in the United States and other countries. Um, so I think just having a an integrated supply chain with reliable raw material manufacturers is critical. I, I don't know if the infrastructure is there yet to mm -hmm. support that. I, I just don't know. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I, I feel like that's something I think that our current supply chain and some of the dependencies on certain vendors in certain parts of the world, um, that's going to have to change in order for that to be a reliable process, I would imagine. Absolutely. And that kind of brings us to our next hot topic when we talk about a reliable or a mature supply chain. Um, it's sort of a follow up to what we talked about, about clean energy or different access to new energy technologies um, when it comes to a supply chain or just overall uh, emerging research. So this week, Google and Chevron both, both announced that they were part of a a 250 million fundraising uh, round for TEA Technologies, which is basically a nuclear fusion startup. Um, and it, it raised in total outside of these big industry titans for both technology and energy, um, 1.2 billion in this round. So obviously, you know, the, the current inflation or or a move to clean energy is raising these kind of startup capital funding or even um, private equity funding that we see a lot in, in our client partners. So for those of you that don't know what nuclear fusion is, because I didn't when I started this research, um, it's often referred to as quote unquote, the holy grail of clean energy because it's generating nearly unlimited emission-free energy. So we talked about kind of that movement and the the fear of that timeline. Um, but basically, this is, it's without harmful uh, toxins to the environment and it's long-lasting radioactive waste uh, that it per, per, uh, produces, excuse me. 
the challenge with this and what I kind of want to unpack with you as far as questioning is it needs to be stored at a very high temperature and can be, you know, very challenging and dangerous to move, which we see with fuels like uh, oil and gas now. So as someone who's worked in, in that oil and gas field, do you feel like there are systems in place when it comes to ERP, um, you know, supply chain management systems that can support this emerging science when it comes to clean energy? I do. I think the technology um, is getting there uh, as far as being able to, to support that, certainly from a you know, safety compliance and distribution and just managing the entire supply chain network of, of that entire process. Um, there are technologies there, but it's a pretty complex space. I mean, energy mm -hmm. in general, not just clean energy, but any sort of uh, energy production and distribution is pretty complex, just given all the moving parts that go into that. So it, it's definitely more challenging. And the technology is oftentimes strained by some of those complexities, but there are technologies out there that can handle that. I don't know if ERP systems per se are the best option mm -hmm. um, because ERP systems are generally fully integrated, trying mm -hmm. to be everything to everyone across an organization. And what we see oftentimes in the energy space, including clean energy, is that ERP systems lack some of those capabilities that are unique to, to energy producers. So I, a lot of times you have to look at more of a best of breed point solution sort of option for, for energy utility companies as well. And I know, Eric, you and team work in kind of these new industry spaces, whether we're looking at aerospace, clean energy, cannabis, these newer industries that are coming out um, with uh, new technologies. So what is your approach when you go into a specific industry that might be newer to standardized processes or looking at a bigger system that they need support because of this high growth marketplace? Well, first of all, we look at, you know, what, what sorts of technologies are out there for a particular organization that specializes in their industry. Um, you mentioned uh, cannabis, you know, cannabis has an emerging uh, class of technologies that are ERP systems, but they're tailored and focused on uh, cannabis production, which has some pretty unique um, business processes that are similar to food and beverage production, but, but different. It's sort of a, a variance of that core capability. Um, within energy too, as we talked about, you know, that's another thing we look at is if you can't find a single ERP system or, or there aren't any sorts of technologies out there that on their own can handle a broad variety of capabilities for an organization, then that's where you look to multiple point solutions like separate financials and supply chain management and um, mobile workforce management, outage management for energy companies, that sort of thing. So um that's that's just the way we go about it is you have to look at the technological landscape the limitations and options available within your particular vertical and then figure out you know what what roadmap makes the most sense for your organization yeah and it sounds like having kind of that third-party blueprint or that business advocate that specializes in kind of in the system space might be a really good first step to kind of engage that expert especially if you are kind of in an emerging industry uh, so definitely some great points there. Yeah, you want so, that agnostic view, which is the, really the important point of what you just said. You want that technology agnostic objective view of what are our options, what are the trade-offs, what's the best one for us, and which one best supports what it is we're trying to accomplish. So just getting less of the sales speak and the sales mm -hmm. pitch from software vendors and really getting an agnostic view can be super helpful. 
Well, absolutely. And that innovation, I think that's what the team here at Third Stage really brings to the table is these processes may not be established in the industry yet. So having that ability and that entrepreneurial spark when you are evaluating these processes is, is one of my favorite part about the team here at Third Stage is they are passionate about helping our clients establish what's best for them, right? Not what's best for the software that's yeah. in the marketplace right now. Yep, I agree. Well, let's go across the world to our friends in New Zealand um, in our APAC area. So there's this interesting new study by the Citizens Advice Bureau, which is a, a government entity that talks about digital enforcement versus digital inclusion. And their argument is access to public services, specifically within a public space or governmental entities, is a human right. And by implication of the move to more of a digital space for public services specifically, they aren't universally inclusive to the access and it might deprive some people of that right. So a really interesting kind of argument by this public service group that talks about the non-proficient technologist. So very stereotypically and not always, but that tends to be, you know, our older base of consumers when it comes to things like accessing motor vehicle records or things like that that have moved to a fully um, a fully digital environment and interaction. Uh, so I wondered what you would say to these specific public service sectors moving to a fully digital environment and how that might limit the access to a non-digital native consumer or constituent in this point. Well, it, it certainly does exclude certain demographics, like you mentioned. Um, it reminds me of the whole debate that we're seeing in the United States. I'm not sure if it's something that is prevalent in other parts of the world where we have offices as well. But one thing I've, I've noticed is in the U.S., for example, there's a debate politically about whether or not people have a, a right to high-speed Wi-Fi and, mm -hmm. and a right to high-speed Internet, um, especially if you live in a rural area or if you just can't afford Internet, you know, should the government be providing that sort of uh, accessibility that others might have? And so it's sort of along those same veins, I suppose, that we're talking about here um, as far as how you include more people. Um, it seems like, I mean, my, this is my opinion, but I'll, I'll be totally honest. I'll, I'll add a caveat that this is a a biased view just from my bubble or my, you know, mm -hmm. wherever I, my place in life. But, you know, it seems like um, that over time, as as the Internet becomes more and more prevalent, technology costs come down, it's becoming more accessible already to mm -hmm. a wider population. And, and the, the population is, you know, for those that haven't already adopted to a digital world, they're they're slowly getting there. Um, mm -hmm. So I almost feel like it's a. I don't know if it's more it's a it's a government thing that the government has to fix or a regulatory issue that needs to be fixed or if it's more of a more of a change management issue you know how to get people on board now having said that i don't know how to address in the short term how to address the economic or the um the financial exclusion that might come along with not being able to afford the internet or not being able to afford accessibility i think that but i still think that's becoming less and less common because even in developing parts of the world and even in populations where um they haven't you would think they wouldn't have the money or the resources to access the internet um they all have mobile phones they you know there, there's an extremely high adoption rate of, of mobile technology even in developing parts of the world so 
I feel like we're getting there. I don't know. You know, I, I have no idea if government uh, regulatory relief will help or not. Um, but I feel like we're kind of headed that way. The, the undercurrent's definitely heading that way anyway. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. And what would you say... This makes me think at least about um, adoptions, digital adoption platforms. And really that seems to me kind of as that bridge from going to a full digital environment, because I, I feel like that's inevitable at this point, right? But what do yeah. you, what would you say about using a tool set like that to give this human right or teach it and train to? Yeah, that's a great point. And it, it could just be an adoption thing. Like you said, like if there's a, um, you know, if there's some sort of registration you need to do with a regulatory body in whatever part of the world you're in, is there an app you go to? Is there a website? Even just knowing how to go about it, I think that's probably the bigger issue. Um, you know, again, I this could be biased. It could be inaccurate. But I don't get the sense that in the world there's a lot of um, inaccessibility to the Internet and to digital technologies in general. Now, certainly there's a, there's a, a financial burden that, is, is higher for some if you're getting into advanced technologies, but if you're talking just access the internet to register whatever permit or whatever regulation you need to register for, uh, I feel like most of the world has that access. It's just more a matter of do they know where to go and how to go about it. It's not like, I suppose it's not, it's a bit of a jump to, to look back to when you could just look up, you know, where is the local mm -hmm. office that I need to go to and I'm just going to physically go there and someone's going to tell me what I need to do and help me through the process. Now it's a matter of, well, you're not going to physically go there. You're going to get on your phone and go to whatever website and someone in a chat bot or whatever is going to help you through the process. So um, I think you're right that that digital adoption technology it, and the whole process behind that could be a good way to to enable that. And I think that would be more effective, quite frankly, than, than trying to force it through regulation or um, government intervention, which I know is not what you're suggesting. I think I'm just... Uh, you know, I, I'll try yeah. not to head down the path of regulation. We've, we've covered yeah. that a lot in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it might be that is the regulation, right? If you're going yeah. to um, provide these service in a 100% digital environment or ecosystem, then you need to have some sort of adoption plan or platform to your change management point. Absolutely. So yeah. 100%.
So let's keep going throughout the world in our global conversation today. Really interesting new development in the Philippines. And the Philippines, I'm not sure if you knew, know, or I didn't, um, that it's really become one of uh, the newest crypto hubs as well. And I think this is a really interesting conversation about connectivity and access when the government is actually leading that charge, right? So in a newly released survey, um, Philippine, the Philippines ranked 10th in cryptocurrency adoption by country with over 11.6 million Filipinos owning digital assets. Um, so that's a, a pretty staggering statistic in, in my mind. So they have actually, the government's Department of Science and Technology has started a blockchain training program for researchers in this department to con continue to solidify their leading in this industry. Uh, so they focus on blockchain in areas such as healthcare, financial support, emergency aid, insurance of passports and visa, trademark registration, government records, and among others. And their goal for this is to bring those financial services to rural households and other segments that are underserved by the current banking system. Uh, so I thought that this was a, a really interesting kind of almost um, complete opposite approach as that New Zealand uh, more trying to bring in that inclusivity. The government here is leading that training program and continuing to move forward to be a leader in that cryptocurrency sphere, not to mention the private businesses there that are raising a ton of capital and moving into that cryptocurrency behavior for consumers. So just wanted to get your kind of opposite take on this story when it comes to how the Philippines is approaching new technology as opposed to how New Zealand, not good or bad, but just different, right? Well, I'll tell you what I think if it's good or bad. Okay, <laughs> Even right. though I don't want to. <laughs> I'm just trying to like not box you in there, but by all means, go for it. No, I'm kidding. I, I don't think it's good or bad. Um, well, I think it's interesting for sure because I think it, it seems like there's different schools of thought. Um, and the one I've heard more often is the opposite school of thought, which is government entities trying to get more involved in, in regulating and clamping down on the use of crypt cryptocurrency. Um, I guess the, you know, the biggest question I have that, that sort of, um, leaves me on the fence with this whole topic is, you know, I think on one hand, it's great that people have an option now. They don't have to rely on, um, a federal currency that mm -hmm. might, you know, they might not have control over, especially in today's day and age where you've got inflation and mm -hmm. exchange rates are just really weird right now and out of balance with different, um, with inflation and governments printing money and that sort of thing. That's, that's creating a lot of spending power that's being diminished and it's, and it's outside of your control. Whereas cryptocurrency, it seems like people feel like they have more control, whether or not they actually do. I think it's a different debate, but I think people, there's a lot of a good subset of the population that, that values that. Um, but I guess the question is that, you know, if there's no, if there isn't a uh, regulatory body that mm -hmm. somehow manages ex exchange rates and just overall inflation and things like that, like, the central banks throughout the world do, um, does it, first of all, does it need to be, is it okay that we have an alternate currency that doesn't have that? And second of all, does that affect the adoption rate? Would more people be more likely to ad adopt cryptocurrency if there was some sort of uh, perception that the government was somehow helping? 
Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I, I have mixed feelings on that, but I, I think it's super interesting. I'd be curious to see how the Philippines, the adoption rate and just sort of the use of crypto and the effect on their standard of living and their purchasing power and all that stuff. I'd be curious to see over time how that compares to other parts of the world that are sort of trying to clamp down and tax and regulate cryptocurrency and you know what are those two scenarios look like and how does that affect the adoption and, and that sort of thing so more i definitely have a lot more questions than, than strong opinions on, on this topic yeah it, it is really complex right for example i tried to sell a bed frame on facebook marketplace and was try uh the the hackers in Facebook were trying to upgrade me to Zelle and get all of that information. And it was like a full-fledged, huge attack of like 10 or 15 people or fake profiles trying to do that. So when we look at things like cryptocurrency or even money-based applications that integrate with your bank account, it does really bring up this new cybersecurity threat. So it will be interesting to see how they kind of combat that and still grow as a forefront of that marketplace. But I think it's overall great that forward thinking of technology. It just needs to come with some sort of overall um, safety plan, really full baked. Yeah. And we've talked before too, like um, the metaverse too. I think a, a couple mm -hmm. episodes ago, we talked about the dark side or wasn't the dark side of the metaverse, but we we're talking mm -hmm. about safety in the metaverse. I think it was a couple exactly. episodes ago. And does it need to be regulated? And how do you make sure that people aren't getting ripped off in the metaverse and that sort of thing? So I don't know. It's, it's sort of like right now, a lot of this stuff, metaverse, cryptocurrency, it's sort of like the wild, wild west of the, of the U.S. back in the day when, you know, they're just people doing whatever they wanted. There wasn't a whole lot of regulation or governmental yeah. uh, influence. So that's kind of like where it is right now in those some of these digital spaces. But you have to think that inevitably, whether you like it or not, there's going to be more government regulation and involvement in those areas. But in the meantime, what do you do? How do you avoid some of those challenges? I guess that's the, the big question. Absolutely. I, I think I just came up with my new buzzword for the month. It's digital bandit. Thinking about digital the bandit. wild. Yeah. Wild West. And I'm, I'm going to start calling you that, actually. I'm going to start <laughs> accusing you of being a digital bandit. And you were, right. Well, you know, that, that's not your... where I thought that conversation was going to go, but here we are. <laughs> I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to own the digital banding Like space. when you put me on the spot, I'm going to say, stop asking me these difficult questions, you digital bandit. <laughs> Even <laughs> you though that doesn't make any sense, it's too. still <laughs> has some ring to it. <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. I like it. I'm going to own it. Absolutely. So uh, the last case study case studies multiple, I want to jump you today on Hot Topics, is an, a recent research done by the Harvard Business Review here in the United States. And it focuses on global companies and why they go through a business transformation, which we know a digital transformation is essentially a business transformation. We often refer to it that, it, that way instead of a digital transformation. So they, due to their research, they have four types that are influenced by initiators, both internal and external, and pace. How fast are you going through this, this transformation? And a lot of this new research is from the COVID-19 era. As we know, an initiator became a lot of external factors in how you can do business. So the four types that we're going to talk about today are negotiated transformation, hijacked transformation, 
slow motion transformation and sprinted transformation. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take you through some real life examples of each one. And then we can kind of talk through what that looks like that you're seeing in the marketplace. And if, if you feel like you, you would add anything to those four buckets or change them in any way. So let's first talk about a slow motion transformation. This is a company that's very intentional, but sometimes gets that's gets caught in that analysis paralysis phase that we see a lot. So um, I think it's called Mars Marsic Line. It's a Danish con container shipping um, firm. Basically, they wanted more visibility and transparency to their customer supply chain um, that required organizational technical and cultural change. Uh, so this was a significant investment as it always is. It started in 2016 and still is an ongoing dialogue about the company's strategic positioning and corporate identity. So basically it's created a rift of, are they a tech company and they're focusing on this new technology or are they first and foremost a shipping container company? So kind of an identity crisis that's put a pause on their transformation and really drug it out for a, a while. Now we're in 2022. It's obviously been six years since they started this um, and what that looks like. So now let's go to a sprinted transformation. We're actually going to talk about meta, which we talked about in um, our conversation about the metaverse. So in October 2021, Mark Zuckerberg, who is obviously the, the CEO and founder of meta, um, did a sweeping and un really unprecedented transformation for the almost 70,000 um, person workforce for this social networking company. Uh, so all of a sudden, they told their Instagram and Facebook engineers to forget their goals for 2022 and instead reapply for new positions in augmented reality and virtual reality. This sprinted transformation um, created some a lot of uncertainty and stress that we've seen with former employees, but it could also be argued that it was a huge competitive advantage for them to gain metaverse real estate uh, before their bigger tech competitors. So sprinted transformation. Um, now we're going to talk about um, negotiated transformation. We're going to focus on the European Union's general data protection regulation. Very big name. <laughs> we call it the GDPR, right? We all know what that means. Um, so basically, these requirements were passed in 2016 um, to all businesses that are operating in the EU, which we do, um, and we apply by these compliance all the time. However, they didn't go into effect for several years. So while the legislation um, what has been arguably and sometimes unclear that um, they need further clarification and interpretation along the way. And these forms were forced to transform um, because of their operating procedures. So they had no other choice than to go through this because of the negotiated transformation of their constituents and their legislator. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Lastly, and I hope you're taking notes. No, I am <laughs> this, actually. This one is a bit more more um, straightforward. So this is a hijacked transformation. Um, so this is going to focus on on Russia's invasion of Ukraine in a matter of days. Right, companies had to leave or end their Russian operations because of sanctions, boycotts, or political repercussions. So these hijacked transformations can occur 
when there's new disruptive competitors entering the industry and kind of change the rules of the game, if you will. They also reference streaming companies, this research. So we're talking about Netflix, HBO, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus. Um, you know, they've threatened that conventional um, telecom, TV flow, cinemas, movies, industries thus kind of hijacking their business and making their transformation agendas completely flip. So those are the four types. And the reason I took some more time to go through these is I really think they're very interesting when it comes to why that purpose behind a business or digital transformation. So really excited to hear kind of your feedback on these four different types. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I would love to read that article, by the way. I think that's... Uh... I'll link it for our audience to the research. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. I think what, what it, two things jumped out at me. One is that there is oftentimes, it seems like there would be a lot of overlap or, you know, mm -hmm. sort of like you could be in any one of those four categories, depending on how you, how you look at it. Um, and, you know, so there's some similarities or, or some merit that most organizations might find in multiple sets of, the, of those four. Um, but the the more important thing, the second thing, and the more important thing is that I think as you were describing those, I was thinking, you know, none of these none of these four I think are good or bad, but just making sure that it fits your industry and your situation, and that you manage the the transformation accordingly is really important. Because I could see, for example, you know, the slow motion one, the shipping company, mm -hmm. um, the the first one you talked about, I could see that how that maybe that started as a a sprinted or a a, you know, more of a negotiated sort of a model, but then they end up in the slow motion camp because they're trying to figure out what they want to be and mm -hmm. what what is their business model? Are they really a tech? Are they really a shipping company? Are they a tech company, like you said? So I think um, just knowing, having that self-awareness of what fits you best and being comfortable with that and saying, okay, we're going to manage it as a slow motion initiative rather than, you know, mm -hmm. a sprint. Um, I think that's important. Too often we see companies that think they're going to do more of like the sprinted approach, but mm -hmm. they're an old school company that's slow to change and they're not going to sprint. The reality is it's, it's like a marathon or a, someone who wants to become a marathon runner or a, or a sprinter, but you've never run before, uh, but you assume you're just going to be a good sprinter. That, that doesn't typically work out that way. Um, and I hate running, so I don't know why I'm even using that <laughs> analogy, but, but, uh, anyway, so I think that's, those are the two main things that come to mind, uh, as it relates to it. But I think having that awareness and this deliberate, the deliberate strategy to support whatever camp or whatever bucket you fall in is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I had a bat phone to, which actually I'll tell you, bat phone is something that one of our clients asked for this week to Eric. <laughs> so that's where I got that saying. So I wish Wait, I had for a bat phone. Yeah, because they want to, you know, be able to reach you, you know, their big oh. fans, as as everyone is. And Eric is accessible. You don't need a bat phone when you do Although work. I, with I, but I'd be happy to sell my yeah to, uh, to sell for a price my cell phone number. I mean, I'm happy if someone wants to pay me to <laughs> to, to contact my phone number. That's fine. Absolutely, <laughs> definitely. But um, I digress. So a bat phone to Mark Zuckerberg to be. I really want to know, like, is that worth it? You know, is that level of shifting your overall strategy, just saying, forget what you know, and causing this huge disruption in an already really disrupted industry? I wonder to those executives, is that worth it? Um, and maybe it is. I have no idea. Right. But um, that's a, one thing that really stood out to me when we come to there's there's a difference between that hijacked and that sprint. Right. Hijacked. They don't have a choice. They have to do that to stay in business. 
sprinted is they see kind of that competitive advantage to sprint in, own that space. And I, I just am so curious to see, like, is that really worth it? And I wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's interesting you bring that up in that Facebook was the, or Meta was the one that you mentioned with that or that the article mentioned. Uh, because I do, I do wonder, you know, you look at big companies, it's, this is a little bit of a tangent, but when you look at big companies like Facebook, even in the tech space, um, that, that was a pretty bold move for them to say, we are totally changing our business model. We're going to, we're, we're so into this concept of the metaverse and we think it's so important in our future. We're going to actually rename our company. I mean, so he's all in on this whole metaverse thing, which is pretty unique for, for any company to do, but especially a big company. Um, but there's part of me and I'm sure, you know, maybe there's part of Mark Zuckerberg that wonders this too, that, that wonders, is that really, is that really a smart move? Is the metaverse going to be a thing or is it sort of like, you know, we're, we're, uh, doubling down on vinyl records back in the, back in the eighties, right. As, right. As companies were still using or right. As people were still using vinyl, but they're starting to switch to cassettes and CDs and other digital, you know, streaming stuff that would come later. It just makes you wonder is metaverse sort of a blip, you know, just a tiny little blip in the overall history of technology. And is that the right move? But that's a whole different story. But I think the key is like, make sure you're sprinting, make sure you're sprinting only if it makes sense, you know, and if you're, you know, like I said, if you're an old school organization, yes, you probably need to change, but maybe you don't need to sprint and double down in the way that Facebook doubled down on the metaverse. Um, but if you're, you know, we saw during the pandemic, for example, that all these companies were forced into these sprinted transformations because they didn't have the technology to support a remote work environment, or even more commonly, they were in an in industry like retail or distribution, any supply chain intensive organization, uh, food and beverage production. Those are examples of industries that were severely disrupted by mm -hmm. the pandemic, and they were sort of forced into this whole sprinted um, approach. Although I, I guess, would that be considered a sprint or is that a hijack? No, so that would be the hijack. And that's okay. why I like to distinguish between the two, because there are some companies that literally had zero choice. It was either go out of business or figure out how to do this. But mm -hmm. Meta is an interesting, they didn't have to do that, right? They yeah. they did it because they think that it's a good business decision. Um, however, I, I just, I wonder if the disruption, because I wish I could have been a fly on the, the, the wall. We know software engineers, right? We know platform engineers. And to tell that type of workforce that, hey, you're doing something completely different would have been a very interesting conversation. Like it's one thing yeah. to be in, in the the creative branding side. Like we we always react to the marketplace, but software engineers, they're not always at least and again totally stereotypically, that's not something that usually we see success with that really harsh change behind that group of technical workforce. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting though. Very interesting uh distinguish uh, distinguishment is that, is that, that's not a word. I just made that up, but it is very interesting to distinguish like very between the fancy, words. so we could go there. This is a very distinguished conversation for our <laughs> British audience, right? Um, and yeah. I won't even fake a British accent because that would just be embarrassing for Third Stage and myself. Um, right, but and I, I can barely speak just American English, let alone British English or any other language, so I'm, I'm going to keep it simple for now. Right, but thanks for <laughs> up in the class level of that story. I, I really appreciate that. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group.
Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 78. My name is Eric Kimberling, and I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, you recently had a chance to facilitate a discussion with several of our leaders at Third Stage Consulting to talk about our 2023 Digital Transformation Report. So you had uh, you had a chance to have this panel discussion with myself, uh, with Wayne Holtham, who was just on a moment ago, the, the head of our Third Stage Consulting Office in Asia Pacific, as well as Clifford. Martin, who is the head of our EMEA office, which is um, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. He's based out of Africa, but he covers that entire region. And um, so it, it was a good, good conversation that we thought we'd play a clip for. So let's go ahead and play this clip of the panel discussion. We'll uncover some of the themes and lessons from our 2023 Digital Transformation Report. First, let's do some quick introductions, and I'm going to start with the newest member of our team who is not new to the digital transformation space in general. Um, he brings a wealth of experience, but newer to our third stage team. So Greg Benton is our chief strategy officer, um, and he is, uh, he is joining us from our Denver United States office today. So Greg, if you wouldn't mind, we'll do a quick round robin of introductions about uh, your role here at Third Stage and just some brief experience you have in the digital transformation space. Greg Benton, great to be with you today, this afternoon, this morning. And uh, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer here at uh, Third Stage. Uh, as Kyler said, I've been involved in digital transformation uh, ERP implementation, remediation, a lot of work over the last 25 years, and I'm responsible for the overall strategy, the um, uh, solution solution development here at uh, Third Stage, and very happy to be with you with the release of our report this morning. Excellent. Thanks, Greg. And then we will go in order. Um, so Clifford Martin is uh, our represents our EMEA team. So Clifford, if you wouldn't mind doing a quick intro, we'd love to hear from you as well. Fantastic. So much. Thanks so much, Carla, and, and great to be here. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic, very comprehensive, insightful report. So looking forward to unpacking it with the team and, of course, with the uh, some of the attendees. Um, yeah, Clifford Martin, uh, the Managing Director for Third Stage, based in Cape Town, um, on the EBS side of the world. And um, I've been involved in, in digital transformation for over many decades, as I think is evident from, from the grey hair. Um, and in a number of different roles, which I think is always interesting. So both as, as leading and managing large complex uh, transformation projects, as well as consulting for organisations like Gartner, KPMG, EY. And then the last two years or so, uh, very much enjoying the position here at, at uh, Third Stage and working with our African Middle East clients. Thank you, Carla. 
Excellent. Thanks, Clifford. And then we will go to, and I'd like to point out, Wayne, that most of our users here are from Australia so far. So they're getting the gold star because they really got the short end of the stick on the time zone. So thank you to all of our Aussies out there. And Wayne, I'll pass it to you for um, an introduction to our APAC region. Yeah. Hi, I'm Wayne Holtham. I'm the Vice President for uh, Third Stage Consulting in the APAC region, so Australia and, and the rest of Asia. Um, and uh, yeah, like Clifford, I've been around in digital transformations for a number of years, whether it be delivering, whether it be uh, training, coaching, whether it be um, process development. Uh, I've had a, had a, um, a fairly good, uh, I suppose, uh, experience with all of those sort of uh, areas. I noticed Sonny's from Melbourne as well, so he's, uh, he's enjoying the late night. So uh, thank you, Sonny, for, for tuning in. Yes, thank you for joining us on, on this uh, this beautiful Australia evening, even though I hear you're freezing down there. So, um, so, <laughs> and then last but certainly not least, and doesn't really need an introduction, um, we have Eric Kimberling, so I'll pass it to Eric. I don't know, Eric, the last time you actually introduced yourself on one of these, so we'll let you do that real quick. I know. Now, now I don't know what to say yeah, for right? my intro. Um, <laughs> no, my name's Eric Kimberling. I'm the, the CEO of Third Stage, and I've been doing digital transformation stuff now for about 25 years. Um, started off as a change management consultant early in my career and uh, over the years expanded into software selection, implementation, project management, process improvement, more change management, that sort of thing. So, um, and most of that experience base has been across different platforms in a technology agnostic uh, way. So it's a bit about my background. Excellent. Well, let's get into it. Again, our uh, 2023 Digital Transformation Report is released live on our website uh, in the description here and wherever you're watching. But I want to get into kind of a baseline of unpacking. Um, so what I'm hoping to do first is define digital transformation. And then there's a lot of talk around uh, around our industry of what is digital transformation? Is it a buzzword um, or is it an, an actual important business tactic? So um, uh, our first assignment for our panelists is to define digital transformation in four words or less. So I feel like who's going to be best at this is Clifford. So Clifford, I'm going to go to you first um, and, and put you on, on the spot there. So digital transformation, four words or less. Well, forwards or less, it depends. We, we may have a, a difference of opinion on spelling over here. It might be five words from you where you come from, forwards from where I come from. Let's see. Okay. Uh, so I would define it as technology-enabled business or redesign. Is that four or five words, Carla? We, get, we can debate that one later on. Yeah, but, that's fine. <laughs> but I think fundamentally important it is it is a redesign of the business model, and, and it has to be. You know, and if we if we go back to the very simplistic and quite catchy digital transformation phrase. I really do believe it's more about the transformation and what does that really mean? And too often, I think we fall into the trap of doing optimization. So we, we mm -hmm. drive out efficiencies in terms of our standard business processes, And you can do that with legacy ERP. That's not particularly different or, or new or doesn't give you any specific uh, great advantage. So I do think about, I do think it is about using technology and it's about utilizing technology to change the business model and what i mean by the business model to essentially change how we create value and how we the, the different products and services we create um how we engage with our customers and how we define that type of value um 
So one has to, I think, if it's going to fit the classification of digital transformation, I do believe you have to be fundamentally changing your business model. Your products and services you deliver, how you, the channels you engage with customers and how you define such value for the organization, fundamentally yes. important. Yeah, very, very good. Um, and, and Eric, you talk a lot about business transformation. Clifford talked about kind of the digital side and the technology. Is digital transformation truly a business transformation or can you build on that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you're doing it right, I think it is. And, you know, it, every company has different needs and priorities. And certainly every organization has the techno technological debt that they're trying to satisfy or address as part of their upgrades of technology and modernization of technology. But to do that alone, just in the context of only focusing on technology and not focusing on how are we going to materially improve our business, improve the business model, um, demonstrate a solid ROI, um, that's the part that's often missing. So I think that's the business piece that really has to sort of lead the lead the charge when it comes to a transformation. And Wayne, how do you establish that ROI or that business value around a digital transformation? Kind of more of those solid metrics of measurement. It's it's interesting because I think as, as Clifford mentioned, the, the the key thing is to be able to get a business model, uh, operating model, operating principles that actually determine where's the value in your business. And then as you, as as you actually start to map that out, you start to see how what the benefits will be by making those changes and adopting those new practices. And that's where the value and efficiency comes back out for the uh, for the organisation. That's where that's where we call benefits realisation. I guess it's it's that ability to be able to realise those after we've planned and we've defined, and then we've made the change, and uh, and then we can see what we've uh, what we're achieving. Yeah, really well said. That benefits realization really starts with a strong strategy. And Greg, you've taught us a lot about what phase zero means in a digital transformation. Can you um, talk to our audience about what how important that is to set for success? Yeah, when you're looking at uh, preparing an organization for digital transformation, you have to really look at both the, uh, the all of the three pillars, people, process, and technology. It's not just a technology decision about the direction you're going. If I were to find digital transformation in three words, it would be unified enterprise operations. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that your organization from the executive level all the way through everyone that works in the, uh, in the organization is on board with the same go forward strategy and that you have the, uh, the organization prepared from a data standpoint data cleansing, uh, preparation for the new technology. And then you have to make a decision about what are your objectives for the end goals or the end state of your transformed operations and get there by following a, a very concise plan and delivery. And then measure that all the way along through the implementation process and certainly at the end of your transformation journey. Absolutely. We could probably spend hours on all of the things that you just said when it comes to moving through a successful project. First, I want to talk a little bit about some industry trends, because that's a big piece of the 2023 report, is talking about what are we looking like as far as 
technology implementation, digital transformation, software implementation, all of those different pieces. What will that look like kind of in the enterprise area in 2030? So I think that's an, an interesting take because everyone has different opinions on that. So I'm going to start with Wayne on this one. When it comes to what do you think is going to be the number one trend when it comes to digital transformation in 2020, in the 2020s moving into 2030? I think I think there's going to be a shift away from just going and shopping and buying a brand, uh, you know, a software, a software brand as such. I think people are starting to see that, you know, there's a bit more to transformation than just installing another brand sort of thing or, or creating an update. It's more than that. And I think that's where people are going to start to take a step back and have a look at what they really want or what what they need to do and change in their business. Because at the moment, probably, if you look at some businesses, they are probably in a space that is really difficult. You know, you look at business climates across the world, quite difficult. You know, everything's everything's a challenge. And so, you know, the, the idea of putting technology in to solve that is a good idea. But, but at the end of the day, we know it doesn't solve it. And I think that people are starting to wise up on that and starting to go... Let's look a bit deeper. Let's see what we really need to be able to do. And that seems to be a trend that we're seeing um, in our area. Absolutely. And Eric, what about those emerging technologies? How are businesses going to prepare to have things like AI, predictive analytics, those types of different pieces kind of within their strategies for technology implementation? There's always the aspiration to do AI and, and machine learning. But the one thing that many people forget is the fact that you know, you need consistency. And if we look at most businesses that we work in, uh, we find that they are the least consistent uh, in the way they operate. And, and that's usually evolved over many years. And so uh, so to try and put in AI or leverage machine learning, those sorts of things, it's about going back to getting a consistent process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think we lost Wayne in the Aussie cloud because it's so late there. It's He's frozen. <laughs> So let's hear from from kind of the rest of our panelists. We'll start with you, Eric, when it comes to um, those different types of of technologies or what you've been seeing in this space when it comes to industry trends. So I I guess I have sort of a split opinion on this. I mean, on one hand, you have sort of your basic um, automation technologies like GL and accounting and inventory management and sort of your base technology that you need to run your business and and companies struggle so much even just with that base technology that you know to to now take on ai machine learning and um, look at some of these more emerging technologies that's even more difficult for organizations to tackle but at the same time those newer technologies are the things that are providing capabilities that are truly groundbreaking and you know provide that ability to to optimize benefits realization like wayne said and to uh, improve the business model, like like Clifford and Greg said. So you know those are that's sort of what companies have to do is is yes, there's great technologies out there, and there's really and technology is changing a lot faster than most organizations are are capable of changing. So you really have to sort of find the right pace for your organization on how quickly you adapt to some or adopt some of these new technologies, and make sure that you at least get that base foundational stuff figured out first so that you can really take full advantage of some of these more emerging technologies. Yeah, Colin, I think what's also interesting to add to that, you know, so, so clearly there's some technologies that are taking shape and getting a, a higher rate of adoption at a, at a quicker pace than others. You know, cloud, of course, is, is, mm-hmm. is certainly one. Um, 
But I think what's also interesting is some of the associated trends. You know, so, so who who is who who's deploying these technologies within the organisation, and and what is the kind of base to which they're being deployed? And increasingly, these types of technology are deployed within the broader ecosystem and not just within the, within the organisation. So there's a lot of collaboration with other value creators or supply chains or whatever customers, whatever. So it's increasingly being deployed in the broader ecosystem. I think is important. And I think another very interesting trend is that it's to a much less extent is it being deployed by the formal hierarchical IT department within the organization. We, you know, we're seeing a lot more shadow IT, so-called shadow IT, uh, lots of technologies being deployed by the, whether it's retail, marketing. And that to me is also a very interesting trend because to some extent one sees the IT department losing control over these so-called new digital emerging technologies and it being and that slap being picked up by other um, other capabilities within the organisation. So, so I think the technology trend is interesting, but how they're being deployed, who's deploying them, and to where they're being deployed is quite an interesting trend as well. Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking that kind of internal competencies. Um, I'm going to turn back to the audience just real quick, so we can talk about our our global saturation here. We have. Um, Australia, we have Sam Graham from Spain, we have the United States here, our representation from Colorado. So a true global audience. I'm going to put up a comment question from Chris Simmons on LinkedIn. And Greg, I feel like this one is written for you. So um, so I'm going to ask you to kind of go ahead and, and read it. He said, sometimes companies do not know what their current systems can produce. Sometimes it doesn't mean the purchase of a new technology. So as someone that manages our front lines from a client perspective, I'd really love your feedback on this thought slash question, Greg. You know, this is a very insightful comment. <laughs> the, uh, the fact that uh, you're looking at a a digital transformation for the organization doesn't necessarily mean that you take everything that you've had that has been working well and eliminate it or replace it. It means taking those um, custom applications, those systems that, uh, that really make your business your business and integrate those with the new technologies. So you may, uh, you may find that this is a, a hybrid solution and one of the things that uh, has really emerged over the last decade is the integration technologies. So the platforms being uh, cloud-based actually allow for a lot more integration with legacy systems, with other uh, ancillary applications and, and solutions that, that really help you in terms of your overall operational uh, standards and, and go forward. So again, getting back to that uh, preparation of the organization, the strategy and the phase zero, understanding exactly what you need to keep, what you need to preserve and go forward with as a new system is, is the overall phase zero approach. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that uh, I hope that answers the question. Absolutely. I think that's great. And we'll, you know, we really need to build out more of that, that phase zero understanding because it is truly the most fundamental piece to set you up for success. Um, so moving into kind of talking through these trends, we've seen a lot of common conversation in the marketplace. Um, 
regarding best of breed systems. So a special specialized system, a supply chain management, warehouse management um, versus a full ERP system. So I want to do again a round robin style to say, is it going to be best of breed or a full ERP suite moving into 2023? Um, so Wayne, let's start with you. Um, I, th I think that it's going to be uh, um, best of breed. It seems to be one of those areas that people are looking for because, you know, uh, there, there are failings in it trying to put a, a single ERP platform in. I probably don't tend to dis I don't tend to agree with that fully, but I, but I see a lot of companies are wanting to go that way where they actually want to get something that's specialised and suits their needs and, and, and really is focused. The challenge you have is trying to bring the two together and get them to work effectively. And, and that's, that's, I think that's the bit as people actually embark on that journey, that's the challenge they'll, uh, they'll face is trying to get two different uh, systems actually working seamlessly together. So, um, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's a bit of a mix, but I think people are heading towards best of breed. Good job, Wayne, not saying it depends, because I was about to start, you know, some sort of drinking game, whether you're working on hydration, coffee, or you're enjoying a, a beverage um, in, in the Aussie area <laughs> late at night, but um, good, good one. <laughs> so let's go to our uh, hashtag, it depends king. Um, Eric, what are we going to see in the marketplace and best of breed versus full ERP? Well, now you preempted my answer. I can't say that. Though. I can't say what I was really going to yep. say. <laughs> you know me. I like no, to I've, mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see this whole, you know, unified single ERP versus best of breed debate. I see that a lot like politics. You know, it's it's like, I think a lot of us, you know, we all have a, opinions on that. Some of us have really strong opinions, but it's sort of like it's never going to get I don't think it'll ever get settled. It's the pendulum might swing a little bit back and forth, you know, across the spectrum. But, but I think what you see in the marketplace, which is actually a pretty healthy thing is you have, you have sort of the unified single ERP vendors that are trying to be, for lack of a better word, they're trying to be everything to everyone. They're trying to provide capabilities that integrate cross industries and uh, cross functional workflows and things like that. And there's a lot of value in that. And, and there's a lot of companies that do want that. But given the fact that, ERP systems can't be everything to everyone and there's always going to be vulnerabilities and weaknesses within that model, you're going to get upstart vendors that are going to come attack those vulnerabilities and provide something better, you know, in certain pieces of a unified ERP. So you look at companies like Salesforce on the CRM side or Workday on the human capital management side, that's exactly how those companies became so prominent is because they went after the vulnerabilities of ERP systems Salesforce said, we can provide a better CRM system. And Workday said, we can provide a better human capital management solution than most big ERP vendors. And so you see this tension and constant swinging of the pendulum in the market where for every all the advances that ERP makes, there's always going to be vulnerabilities and you know weaknesses within that model. You're going to have other software vendors that come in and try and attack that and provide a better mousetrap. And, and so I think what it does, <clears throat> excuse me, is it provides a lot of options for for organization. So you, the good news is you have a lot of options. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to um, pick just one size fits all model. You could have a hybrid, you could pick single ERP, you could go with best of breed. A lot of it just depends on, oh, sorry, I just accidentally said it. I was trying really hard not to say it depends, but a <laughs> lot of it depends. You, on, was, you, know, you know, I just, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so hard for me to not say it depends in that entire response. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so it, it, it does depend, though. It depends on what your strategy is and what you're trying to accomplish. But 
the good news is I think there's always going to be lots of options. And I think that pendulum is going to always swing back and forth mm -hmm. between the preferred model for organizations. Absolutely. And I, we say it depends a lot here at Third Stage because of that business advocacy. That's what we come into the room to do because we are so focused on, on making our client community successful. So ITs are specifically our executives um, um, because I have that audience to do so when it comes to saying de depends, um, but it, it truly is kind of our model. We're here with a panel talking about lessons from our 2023 digital transformation report. We have a lot more to cover. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 78. We're here having a panel discussion that Kyler facilitated with some of our leaders at the company talking about the 2023 Digital Transformation Report. I'm going to go to you, Clifford, and bring up from Sam Graham, who I've said multiple times, I feel like you and Sam would be really good friends. Um, Sam is a, a main audience contributor and a guest blogger for us, and I'm kind of going to evolve this to the conversation topic. So making companies more efficient doesn't necessarily making them more effective. So in this best of breed ERP argument, when we talk about what Eric just mentioned, the work days, the sales force of the world, that might make you more efficient at, in that specific area of the business. But does that make you more effective in building ROI and business value when it comes to the overall enterprise? Yes, it touches on a number of points, um, Kyla. And and, and, and let me first say that I think the interesting thing when one looks at organizations that are primarily best of breed versus single monolithic type ERP, I, I find it fascinating that they are, have often not arrived there through an informed ERP or digital transformation strategy. You know, it, it's, it, it, it kind of happened a, a little bit uh, by default very often. And, and that's quite interesting. And, and, and to, in many instances, it talks to the type of decision-making and governance model that one has specifically in broader or complex organizations. Um, so, 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 so I certainly think there's a little bit more science needed, a little bit, uh, you know, one has to start with that digital transformation strategy and ensure that you understand why you're embarking on a particular route, whether that might be best, which, 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 which will suit certain organizations um, or, or suit certain subsidiaries within an organization or certain parts of an organization that, you know, the more customer facing versus the more back office commodity type business processes. But uh, it's often not as a result of an informed strategy. So, so I think there's a great opportunity to, to assist organizations in making those types of decisions. In terms of the efficiency effectiveness thing, absolutely comes back to the, um, the business benefit um, realization debate that we started the session with. And I do find that organized, that, that more, it's, it's, 
it's a little bit sad, but more often than not, where the organizations become more efficient and more effective, it's it's often by default rather than by design. You know, we start off with these grand ideas in the business case, very comprehensive, wanting to drive out certain qualitative, quantitative benefits, both efficiency and effectiveness. And often organizations are just lucky to go live and just satisfied that they've actually taken this project live. And then they kind of rest on their laurels and declare victory. And we never really get to unpack those those benefits, whether it's efficiency or effectiveness type benefits. So I think lots of scope to assist organizations actually achieve either of those benefits. Absolutely. Definitely well said on, on the benefits realization. Greg, I'm going to do a question for you again, more of a comment here. Um, so Sunny from our ASI area says ERP is a dinosaur. Changing your ERP is not necessarily digitizing your transformation journey. My view is API and the power of API is what brings the transformation. You kind of talked about the integration piece and, and that technology um, coming and, and emerging in the marketplace. So what's your thoughts on, on Sunny's comment? Sonny, I, I think we're, uh, we're kindred spirits here. <laughs> I, um, I, I believe that, you know, ERP has been uh, uh, enterprise resource planning, right? Uh, ERP is, is evolved into really enterprise operations. And enterprise operations have to be fully integrated. It's not the, uh, the efficiency or the gains that you're going, going to get from a new system. It really is having the data sources from your entire enterprise being able to work together so that you can make decisions about how the business needs to move forward so that you can take advantage of some of the, you know, the process automation that you create with your enterprise operations and enterprise operations and ERP are surrounded by ancillary applications and systems. And of course, those need to be connected by APIs, by cloud to cloud connection, by the entire interoperability platform that you create as you go forward with the digital transformation. And I, I think that's why the end goal has to be all of your systems working together in an efficient manner to move the organization forward and, re and uh, reap the rewards of that expected return on investment. Otherwise, why are people going to invest in this, in this type of uh, transition and transformation? Absolutely. So well said. And that brings me kind of to my next topic of why do digital transformations fail? And we know that this can be some of the most expensive failures. Uh, it can put small to mid-sized businesses in bankruptcy. It has a huge impact if you are not successful in um, implementing the technology you purchased and then the user adoption phase, right? That that additional phase on the end to make sure you're maximizing business value. So, so I'm going to do another uh, lightning round with our panel here uh, in three words or less, which we'll, we'll do, we'll make a soft boundary there, right? Uh, why do digital transformations fail? What is that number one reason? Uh, so let's start with you, Eric. I would say internal misalignment would be a, a top reason why. So the, the organization isn't aligned on what it is they're trying to accomplish with the transformation. Um, it doesn't align with their overall corporate goals and objectives. The team isn't heading in the same direction. There isn't clarity on what it is we expect from this project. Um, too often, it, it it's sort of a, 
a project that just just gets delegated or relegated to lower levels of the organization to go solve a modernization of technology sort of problem. And the focus ends up being on just replacing technology without a clear vision of what it is we really want to get out of that. So I think that lack of clarity and alignment um, is is really the root cause for a lot of other problems that stem from that. So you could point to you know, 20 other problems that happened during a project, a lot of it traces back to that fact that you're not aligned as a team. Misalignment. All right, Wayne, you got to pick something else. What What's your choice when it comes to main failure point? But mine is failure to recognize you need to change. It's probably more than three words, but, but uh, many organizations think that a great, great strategy and technology is the perfect mix and forget that people have to actually use the system and change is a key component of that. And so... Um, that, that's I think is that is one of the big areas that uh, that uh, causes uh, causes failures. Excellent. So we have misalignment. We have change. Greg, what what are your thoughts? Lack of preparedness as an organization. It's getting back to the whole phase zero idea. It's getting back to the understanding your strategy before you ever get into you know selecting the technology piece, making sure that your people are all in sync with moving forward together. That you have executive alignment in terms of what you're going to do. Importantly, you have a budget that you uh, you understand what you want to uh, achieve as your end goal. And I think that's you know where people don't start as a, uh, a digital transformation strategy. They start as a technology change, so. Absolutely. Clifford, last but certainly not least, what are your thoughts on why transformations fail? I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm, I'm going to say the same thing as Eric, but I'm going to say it differently. <laughs> I think failure to define success. And and and, and, and I think it's important because, and, and it's not just about failure to define success and obviously align with, with the different stakeholder groups within the organization as to what constitutes success. But what I find interesting as well, Kyla, and to the panel is the timing of, of measuring the success. You know, the worst time to do it is when it's, in the first two, three months post-deployment or post-collive of this massive organizational transformation project, absolutely with the best will in the world and the best change management strategy approach and capabilities, the organization is going to go through some disruption. You know, people have new roles, new technologies, new ways of working. And many organizations, for some other odd reason, decide that's the best time to decide whether we've been successful or not. You know, one has to go through that kind of go through that little bit of a, of a, of a trough and then stabilize the, the the new environment, new business-enabled or technology-enabled environment, and then start to optimize it and measure the benefits. But you have to first go through that stabilization phase. So I think aligning on business benefits and then deciding at what point in this life cycle do we actually decide to now take a, a rain check on whether we've achieved those benefits or not. It cannot be within a week after we've deployed this massive new technologies in the organization. That's really well said, Clifford. And our 2023 report that we're talking about today has our main metrics that you do measure success or how to set up your KPIs uh, to understand if your project is successful. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so Eric, what are some main KPIs or metrics that you should be measuring? And when should you be taking that measurement to Clifford's point to to uh, quantify the success of your digital transformation. Sure. So there's there's certainly your your sort of baseline metrics that most organizations are focused on, which is 
you know, to implement on time, on budget, um, that sort of thing. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of organizations focus on those metrics. Um, but what I'd say to that, though, is off, too often they focus on those metrics without fully understanding what the long-term implications are. So in other words, they focus on optimizing the time and cost to deploy technology, but they don't think about what the real time and cost and the impact of the overall deployment is. So in other words, you know, they, you can minimize your implementation costs, but create more operational problems that cost you a lot more than the money you saved on, you know, cutting your cost on the implementation. So <clears throat> it's a little bit misleading or <clears throat> misguided in terms of how organizations focus on it, but most organizations do focus on time and cost. But even more important, back to what, what Clifford and, and the others have mentioned, is that you really have to define the business value you want to get out of this. So what, you know, for example, if you, you're deploying technology um, that could potentially help you increase revenue, let's define how, how are we going to change our business model and our processes and the way we're organized and how are we going to use this new technology to increase revenue and what is that revenue metric we want to hit. And how are we going to do that? Who's going to be accountable for it? How are we going to get the visibility into that? Um, you know, what, how are we going to need to change processes and people's jobs to use this technology in a better way to increase revenue? So it's it's not just setting the metric; it's also defining what how we're going to get there. Too often, organizations will do more of an academic exercise early in the project. They'll say, "Well, if we put in new technology, we can increase revenue by ten percent, let's say, per year." And they put that in the business case. It helps justify the decision. The board approves the project and no one ever looks at that metric again. Um, and what you really need to do is say, okay, if we want to increase revenue 10%, let's put together a benefits realization plan of how we're going to do that. And it's going to be a lot more than just putting new technology in place. We're going to have to figure out how we change our processes in the organization. So, you know, rather than give you specific metrics that organizations should look at, what I could say is organizations need to define those metrics that are most important to them. You know, why are you doing this project? What is it you want to get out of it? And um, how are you going to measure that going forward? And a lot of times it's revenue based. A lot of time it's reducing its reduction of cost. So, you know, reducing inventory or um, reducing cycle times, um, that sort of thing. Better visibility into planning and that, you know, there's a lot of different metrics like that that um, you know, maybe more or less relevant depending on what your goals and objectives are as an organization. Absolutely. Certainly well said that needs to be unique to the organization. And I'm going to bring up, um, this, this comment here, um, and go to Greg, cause we're talking about that phase zero concept again. So, um, digital transformations fail because the phase zero is not either, is either not completed or does not achieve alignment and vision. So I'm going to um, evolve this to match kind of our conversation. Greg, how do you, in that phase zero, how do you set those KPIs? How do you look at those, the measurement for successor or that benefits realization plan, as Eric just mentioned? Um, what does that look like in that phase zero approach? You know, this, this, this comment really goes back to everything that we've been talking about in terms of preparation for the organization. And really, um, there are two things that are linked to the return on investment and when and where that's measured. And one of those is the total cost of ownership. So as you're going into kind of the planning phase, you're going into the, uh, the pre-plan, let's call it that, in phase zero, you really need to look at what the organization is going to achieve from bottom line cost savings, as, as Eric pointed out, or increased revenue or, you know, the, uh, the metrics that you're going to, uh, to get as you come through the digital transformation journey. And that could be quantified as 
a business model, a total cost of ownership over the next, you know, one year to, uh, to five to 10 years in terms of your, your overall journey. And then that can be equated to benchmark uh, uh, um, achievement of those metrics all the way along. And so the, uh, the TCO actually generates the, uh, the ROI at the end of the, at the end of the digital transformation that you've decided on. And that requires a very comprehensive phase zero and approach to preparedness of the organization to move forward. Absolutely. I think that that's very well said. And again, um, some great insight in that 2023 report. It is, if you're just joining us, it is in the description for each one of our live streams today and also at thirdstage-consulting.com in our uh, thought leadership guides and reports. So definitely be sure to check that out because what Greg's saying here and that ROI of digital transformation, all of that really um, dense content and, and valuable content is involved in there. So I want to um, talk a little bit about what you touched on, Greg, and talk to talk about specifically cloud. Cloud is a huge trend. A lot of what we're seeing in the digital transformation space is migrating to a cloud. We talked to Eric. You talked to Lisa Pope earlier this week, um, the president of Epcor, and um, what that looks like as far as um, as cloud migration from a vendor standpoint. So I want to talk about unpopular opinions because, you know, that's my favorite thing to do. So I'm going to go to you first, Clifford. Is cloud less expensive or more expensive for different organizations? Are we still subject to the to the rule that we're not allowed to say it depends? Well, Eric's fans are roasting <laughs> me on the internet. <laughs> so I'm not going away with that already, so. <laughs> so I'm not um, canceled, but <laughs> you can say it depends. I'll allow it. Okay. No, that's fine, Carla. Um, so yeah, so, so so you know, it, it does often come down to how one defines expensive, because you know some organisations purely put all their technology deployment and decision making with you know capital type of budget. Some are happy to go for more opex or subscription based, which of course cloud SaaS type solutions lend themselves to. And that's often easier to get, sometimes easier to get approved because it doesn't require the same level of authority or the same uh, depth of business case or justification. So once again, I don't think it's always based off an informed decision as to how organizations end up, you know, with either on-premise or something in the cloud or a particular um, multi or single tenant SaaS type model. Um, certainly we know that the vendors are, are pushing cloud um, and, and, and I do think that it comes down to what do you as an organization want and what trade-offs are you happy to, are you willing to make from a cost perspective? So if we do want a high degree of, of flexibility um, we, or we have concerns about data security, as many organizations do, and we prefer our, our, our software and our data to be sitting on a, you know, a server in our basement, it kind of feels more comforting and we have more control over it. Even if that's a little bit more expensive, um, as it often is these days, I, I do find that organizations will tend to gravitate towards that type of decision, even though it may be a little bit more expensive. So I think a lot of these decisions are being made for other reasons, often sometimes emotional reasons, and just an inability to change, um, rather than based on purely, um, you know, the, the TCO business case, if you want. So, so Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's what I'm seeing. 
Yeah. And so, Eric, what's your reaction to that in, in thinking through the decision making around choosing a cloud solution, choosing a hybrid solution and unpacking or decoding a vendor pushing you into that new system? Is that for your benefit or theirs? How do you tell? Well, it, it's definitely for their benefit. So, I mean, you have to recognize that, you know, that they will benefit from you moving to the cloud and, and um, you know, the dynamic in the industry that, that drives a lot of this cloud adoption is not only because there are clear advantages and benefits to, to moving to the cloud, but arguably more importantly, because the vendors make higher margins and more steady, predictable revenue from cloud solutions than they do on premise. And that's what investors want. And that's what investors are rewarding the software vendors for. So there, there's a clear bias in the industry toward moving to the cloud and that percolates or, or kind of cascades throughout the industry and in that the vendors then start commissioning Gartner and Forrester and industry analysts to put out all these reports about how great the cloud is and how everyone should move to the cloud. And so it becomes kind of like common perception that cloud is better. Um, and it could be, I mean, there are definite advantages, but there's a cost to the cloud too. It's, it's a cost that never goes away. Um, typically it's a higher annual cost for that you're paying to the vendors. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm, I have very bad allergies today, so I apologize for the constant coughing here. But, um, but the uh, so that that bias in the industry has really you know driven a lot of the sort of the blinded the blinders of what what's the real downside in the dark side of the cloud, um, and, and a lot of organizations don't recognize that. For some organizations, for a lot of organizations, I would say it's actually going to cost you more to move to the cloud. Um, or at best case scenario, you're just shifting costs from internal costs that you're not maintaining anymore. You're just shifting those costs over to a vendor and you're not really saving money. So when vendors come out and say, you're going to save all this money in the cloud, I, th I think it's disingenuous at best. Um, you, the shifting gears though, there is definite value to the cloud. I mean, there's mm -hmm. advantages, there's efficiency gains, there's, um, you know, the, the lack of technical debt, the fact that you have constant R&D that's constantly improving and making the technology better that you didn't have before. So there's value there, but the cost is generally gonna be higher than a lot of organizations think. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric Kimberling is is physically allergic to vendor bias, is what I'm hearing in, in that overall conversation. Yes, it yeah. just coincided with this discussion. Yeah, sure. absolutely. So. Um, so Wayne, you are a process efficiency expert. Um, you do a lot in our um, defining an operating model, process mining, those types of, of different pieces. So what are your thoughts on the efficiency piece of processes and cloud technology? Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's becoming more and more important to actually have a good process um, and understand your processes and get consistency of processes. And when you look at a, a, a SaaS or a cloud type um, option, that's what they're looking for is that consistency. That you know, uh, vendors are preferring not to have customizations because um, to maintain that over the long term is much harder for them to do. And part of that versioning, ongoing versioning and updates, is a preference on their behalf on why cloud is important for them. Not necessarily you as a client; that's they sell it as a benefit. But but that's one of the things that is a benefit to them. And uh, process and having standardized consistent process is what that's based on um, there's some organizations that want to stay uh, as they always have heavily customized and and that flies in the face of where the where um, a lot of software vendors are going because of, you know if you look in the sat world they're sort of saying we want to end support 
on these heavily customized type options and try and push people into uh, more of the, the cloud SaaS type options because it's cheaper for them to maintain and, and uh, keep updated with that. So, um, so yeah, that's what you sort of see. But the process piece is, is becoming more and more important because if you don't actually attend to your processes, your effectiveness of a new deployment in a SaaS option becomes quite restricted. And, and that's, that's a lot of people are learning that when it comes to uh, deploying into uh, new platforms. And, uh, and that's where a lot of failures are starting to happen in that, uh, in that space. Absolutely. And, and Greg, as, as you are often our North Star when it comes to strategic partnership and, and vendor communication, you keep us kind of level set. What do you see as far as um, vendors' overall perspective of pushing users into the cloud? Uh, is that really for their benefit or is it for the actual client's benefit as kind of our main stakeholder in that conversation? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked the question because I take a little bit different perspective on this. I think that the, uh, the vendors are pushing us in a direction that we want to go. Um, the, uh, the advent, the multi-tenant cloud environment. Remember the, uh, the old on-premise upgrade cycles that happened every two to five years that cost, um, you know, four or five hundred thousand, a million dollars to, to go through forward with, uh, think about continual optimization of those older applications. The new continual upgrade update of the multi-tenant cloud environment really sets you up for the next decade. So instead of implementing a software system that you're going to be using for the next five years, that you're going to have possibly a, a, another complete organization in five years with things changing, as change happens, the, the new cloud systems, the new multi-tenant cloud systems especially, can adapt to that change. And the, uh, the integration is one of the questions that came across earlier with APIs going back and forth between cloud environments. It is entirely flexible and interoperable to have your digital transformation include the entire system going forward with data unified on a single platform, and that's that's the uh, the promise of the new cloud technologies. Absolutely, and I think that I'll just mention to our audience: this is my favorite part about working with the executives at Third Stage. Is there are many different opinions, and that's the point. That's what makes us really valuable to our clients: is we go in with all of of these different um, opportunities to do what's best for them in many different faces. So uh, I just want to kind of point that out is, is the years of experience that comes with this team is the ability to speak to the, what's going to bring the most value to our clients. We're here with a panel talking about lessons from our 2023 digital transformation report. We have a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, 
Our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 78. We're here having a panel discussion that Kyler facilitated with some of our leaders at the company talking about the 2023 Digital Transformation Report. So Sam Graham has an interesting question here, uh, and I'm actually going to go to you with this, Wayne. Um, so when vendors say that their system is based on best practices, should we believe them? And the reason that I'm going to ask this question to Wayne is because we recently, he was one of our keynote speakers at our APAC uh, regional digital stratosphere, which again, you can find in our events section on our website, that replay. And we had a ton of dialogue from our APAC region specifically around vendor best practice. Um, some really, really interesting insight there from that community. So Wayne, I, I'm hoping that you could kind of bring that to, to life here in this question from Sam. It's an interesting, uh, interesting thought that uh, a software vendor could actually give you best practice um, yes, probably on their uh, on their terms and for actually having a, a streamlined process of how you actually transact within the system, best practice, consistent practice is, is yes, they would uh, they probably could have that. But does it really relate to how an organization's best practice is? I, I, I don't believe that's the case. And I think that's where the myth that uh, that is solved often is that we just put technology and we'll have best practice. And um, unless we actually are doing best practice ourselves in those processes that don't actually always um, are, are integrated with the technology, then, then the best practice in technology won't be uh, any better than, um, than uh, just an average practice as such. So. Absolutely. And, and Clifford gets the actual award for top buzzword of 2022 here um, with professional skepticism, which I now say in every conversation I have daily. So this kind of builds on that idea and Clifford, a lot of your content around system integrators and their relationship with uh, a digital transformation. So can you kind of speak to that build on Wayne? Yes, no, I fully, fully agree with Wayne and, and and you know one also has to ask the question what constitutes best practice um, in terms of because it, it really does come down to, to where you're at as an organization and in which areas you're wanting to improve and, and mature um, certainly uh, one cannot do it across all business domains I think one has to be selective and sometimes that best practice may well come from inside the organization you know as to how can we improve it may well come from some type of reference model with industry reference model so I think I think Mark, I think clients need to have the choice to interrogate what the vendors bringing along in terms of their best practices, what is industry best practices, and what are their own people saying? Where are the areas that we need to close the gap? Where you know where we need to improve, and more often than not, a combination of those three, in my view. 
Absolutely. And, and Eric, I see, see you nodding, ready to enter this conversation. So what are your thoughts on, on those best practices? And before your answer, I'll just remind the audience that our 2023 report, which we're talking about here, has our best practices that we've pulled out, not only from vendors, but also from our own proven um, client experience. So with that, Eric, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Clifford said it really well. I I totally agree with everything he just said and, and what the group has said so far about um, best practices. I think, you know, the key to what Clifford just said is that <clears throat> that resonated with me is, is really just selectively, deliberately determining where you're going to leverage, quote unquote, vendor best practices. And I use quotes because who's to define what a best practice is, really? I mean, it, and, and B, is that best practice really suitable for you as an organization? So there's going to be certain parts of your organization that are certainly going to benefit from those um, software best practices, but there's also going to be parts of your organization where those best practices aren't relevant or they're not good enough, or it just doesn't fit your part, your goals and objectives. In those cases, you may not want to use those best practices. You want, may want to, to Clifford's point, develop your own best practices or leverage your own internal best practices. And, and maybe, and God forbid, I know everyone hates to hear this, but maybe you need to customize the software, change the software to fit your business and that competitive advantage. And so I think you have to sort of separate your business processes and capabilities into two buckets. One bucket is these are sort of our more commodity-based business processes that, yes, we want to leverage whatever capabilities the software can bring to us. And then there's a bucket over here that's more the competitive differentiators, the things that our customers interact with the way the customers interact with us or the things that allow us to go to market faster and produce products faster, whatever the case may be. Um, those areas are where you're really going to want to dial in on your own internal best practices, define what those business processes should look like, then figure out how the technology fits in with within that rather than just leveraging software best practices. Absolutely. And, and, that customization piece, Greg, I'm going to bring up this comment because um, it kind of goes off of your last uh, talk track. Uh, but I want to specifically talk about the the best practice of the post go live adoption. You talk a lot about um, you know how you help our clients make sure that they are realizing the overall ROI and maximizing business value by those post go lives. So this comment, many of the multi-tenant cloud applications focus on user experience in addition to effectiveness and efficiency. The third E of experience um, also helps drive the post go live adoption. So when we're talking about best practices, how do you ensure that when kind of the, the vendor talks about best practices that's actually realized by the client. Well, actually, uh, you know, I think that goes back to the, uh, the organization being on board with the entire journey that you're going forward with. So if, if you don't have the organization, the executive level on down involved in the implementation of the new technology of the new system, they're not going to have the, uh, the knowledge of the system, the use, their own applied best practices internally as an organization, and they're going to start reverting to old practices and not really adopt the uh, the the new system in the in the way that it's intended. So it's very important that you have the entire organization moving forward under one banner, right? And that is really the, the secret, the key to user adoption at the end of the uh, of the journey and satisfaction with the system that you've implemented all the way along. 
Absolutely. And, and, and I think that leads us to kind of our final thought here when it comes to uh, the digital transformation report and those keys to success. So I want to go around and kind of finish this out since we're up against the top of the hour about what is the key takeaway in your opinion from this report and what would be the recommendation for our audience here if you had to pick one part of the report to focus on. Um, and Wayne, let's start with you. I, th I think the report actually um, gets people to think. So, so there's a number of different steps there and it sort of articulates those out. And so, so the areas in my mind are those areas where you actually start to prepare and think about what you're doing, putting understanding what strategy is and those, um, you know, what, what it means for engagement and, uh, and how all of that works. And I think that's, that's the key thing I see from the report. It helps people understand there's more to it than just going out and buying a software and uh, and implementing, um, and I think that's 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 where the report really adds value. Absolutely, that perspective is so important. Um, what about you, Clifford? What are some of the the key take takeaways that that you take from this kind of overarching report on transformations in twenty twenty three? Yeah, I would I would encourage um, I would encourage our, our participants and, and listeners and on, on the call to, to focus on the failures because you know they, they seem to be perennial. We, we seem to have from one report to the next and I think Kylie if we done a bit of an exercise and went back to, to this report a similar one from five ten years ago we're probably going to find a lot of similarity and mm -hmm. and organizations for some other reason just seemingly fail to learn that and apply those lessons. So under really understand those failures and make sure that you're continuously interrogating and reflecting you've you're going down those rabbit holes and you're falling into those those traps because they seem to just we seem to be unable to to shake them and and learn from them um, and it's uh, it's always sad to see when when organizations make those same mistakes over and again ending in failure so really understand those the reasons for for failures and and ensure that you not that uh, that you know that's not happening to you as you step through this journey Absolutely. And both Wayne and Eric are expert witnesses um, when it comes to working on our failure cases when they do get to that point. We do have that content in the 2023 report uh, that talks about how to kind of avoid that because we never obviously want you to get there. But Greg, some final thoughts on on the best part of this report. I I'm, I'm going to tag on to Clifford a little bit. I, I love the uh, the failure discussion but not because of the failures. It's really because people are looking for a, a, an idea about what it's going to cost me. What is the organization going to experience? We've got a whole section in the report that talks about what you can expect in terms of cost, in terms of you know, organizational change, um, the uh, disruption to the organization, um, and avoiding that, avoiding the pitfalls. And, uh, you know, at the risk of, of repeating what, what Clifford, Wayne, and, and Eric are all saying, you know, that, that is a very important part of the report in, in terms of learning. Absolutely. And, and Eric, as the main thought leader behind this report, what uh, specifically about the 2023 report are you excited to share with our community here? Well, in addition to what, what Clifford and Greg said about the, um, you know, just sort of the, the the lessons learned and the the best practices behind implementation and 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 Wayne mentioned some of that as well. Um, I think the other value or the other big thing that I like about the report is just that it it shows organizations or it's meant to show organizations you have a lot of different choices and options. 
and directions and paths you can go down with your digital transformation. Um, we've talked about a lot of those decisions, you, you know, with cloud versus on-premise and single ERP versus best of breed, all that stuff. We do a lot of, uh, in that report, in addition to some of the implementation best practices, we also talk about um, some of the software comparisons, our independent and agnostic um, reviews, if you will, of these different options and types of systems and vendors in the marketplace. And I think what it does is it really showcases and highlights the fact that organizations have a lot of different options. There's no one right answer for any given organization. And you need to really have a clearly defined digital strategy and roadmap to leverage selectively the best technology or technologies and corresponding business improvements that are going to go along with that. Um, that combined with the readiness and the, the preparation that Greg talked a lot about, um, you know, those two things combined, I think, are really going to set organizations up for success. And those are some of the lessons we wanted to impart in the in this report. All right. Thank you for that panel discussion. That was a great discussion. A lot of good lessons there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll share some of those lessons and takeaways from that conversation. But first, we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 78. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and Kyler, we just had this uh, great discussion with the panel about the 2023 Digital Transformation Report, which, again, you can download via the link in the description for this podcast. But what uh, what were some of your takeaways from that conversation? Oh, absolutely. There's so much more I wanted to get to. Um, and I just want everyone to take a minute to go follow those stakeholders on LinkedIn. Um, we talk about Cliff, Clifford Martin, Wayne Holtham, uh, Greg Benton, and obviously Eric Kimberling. But they put out thought leadership so many times a day that if you are going through a transformation, in addition to the 2023 report, which is more of a static asset, they put out um, all of our thought leadership as well. So highly recommend leveraging their experience in, in this area. So one thing that we didn't get to um, that I kind of want to talk about in conjunction with what we've talked about on um, this specific episode 
is what it is like to be an expert witness, specifically in the lens that both you and Wayne, um, our expert witnesses for our clients. But the reason we put out all of this thought leadership, these top 10 lists, these best practices to digital transformation is to avoid failure, like we just talked about. So what does it look like to be an expert witness involved in sometimes these multi-million dollar digital transformation failures? And how can you leverage assets like the 2023 transformation report to avoid those types of expert witness cases that are very expensive? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because one thing I always say to our new clients that are not that are just starting out, they're not experiencing any sort of failure yet is, uh, you know, one thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, I hope you never have to hire us to be an expert witness. We'd much rather you hire us early on to do the digital strategy type work and, and the software selection and helping them with, with the implementation. It's actually a lot cheaper. We make less money on those projects, but it's a lot less painful. It's a lot cheaper for the client if, if, you know, to have that sort of help up front versus needing an expert later. Um, but to answer your question, as far as what it, what it, what it's like to be an expert witness or what that entails, um, it just first of all, there's a lot of credibility that you have to establish to become an expert witness. Um, mm -hmm. So attorneys and judges and juries, arbitrators, whoever might be involved in a lawsuit, they need to know that you know what you're talking about and you're credible. Um, so that's first and foremost what you need. And, and the beauty of our business and, and sort of my role in our business is that we are technology agnostic. And because we're not affiliated with any software vendors, we are extremely credible. Um, so we're not in there just towing the company line talking about how great technology is or how great a certain vendor is. We're objective and we don't really care. I mean, we just state what we think, as, as you may have noticed if you've watched any of our content over any amount of time. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, you know, I've, I've been involved in probably 30 or 35 different cases throughout the world um, and testified in, in a handful of those. Most of them end up settling before you ever get to trial. But um, the testimony is super interesting because you, um, you, you know, you have to explain what happened and you have to explain it in a way that a judge and a jury and lay people would understand. And I think that's why I'm getting better over time at taking complex ideas and mm -hmm putting them into a YouTube video is partly because I'm an expert witness. I have to do that to be able to be a good expert. Um, and so those are just a couple of things, you know, and then of course having the, the experience with expert witness cases helps. And so it kind of snowballs over time. The more experience you get, the more in demand you are because you've done so many cases. Um, Wayne has done, I think two or three different expert witness cases. So he's, he's maybe earlier in the process with that than I am, although he has, uh, ironically, he has more experience than me and he, you could make a pretty strong argument a pretty strong argument that he's more qualified than me, but I've just done more expert witness stuff. And that's, that's the big differentiator for now. We're trying to change that obviously. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your questions, but that's sort of what an expert witness does and then, or, or kind of what it means to be an expert witness. But the main thing is you just have to be able to analyze these cases and explain what happened, make sure people understand it and, um, you know, establish your credibility along the way. Absolutely. That's super interesting. Um, and just the, the fact that, you know, we're in that space, I, th I think is an incredibly um, compelling as far as what that can actually turn into when you don't forward think your strategies, bring in those agnostic advocates. Um, but so you started this annual report even before I joined the third stage team. So can you kind of speak to why you saw the need for it in the marketplace? Yeah, well, I actually started doing something similar um, probably about 15 years ago at, at my previous company. 
And um, just really, you know, at the time, and in, in this thought process has continued, continued until now, is I just felt like there wasn't enough objective, quantitative views of the world for people to turn to when they're planning for a digital transformation. In other words, you know, I, I didn't want to, I feel like there's there's plenty of marketing collateral out there, uh, uh, plenty of sales collateral out there that you can find about how great technology is or how great vendor A, B, or C is, um, but that's all sales messaging. And um, of course, you're going to get one side of the story. And then if you go to Gartner or Forrester or one of the big industry analyst firms, you're going to get the same sort of thing. You're going to get reports that were commissioned by the same software vendors that are putting out the sales messaging on their side of the, the uh, fence. So I just really wanted to have more of a you know, I think a lot of people would consider it disruptive, but it wasn't necessarily meant to be disruptive. It was meant to just be an honest view of this is what we see. And it guess what? It doesn't necessarily align 100% with what the industry analysts and the software vendors are saying uh, because we're not trying to sell software, so we have no dog in the fight. We just want to sort of state what's really happening. And so that was really the impetus for us was to have that technology agnostic and, and that technology agnostic view of the market. But then we actually, it evolved over time, just in the last couple of years, we started not just looking at quantitative information, but then doing qualitative comparisons of different software systems out there, sort of in, in different settings, you know, different verticals, what are the best systems for different scenarios or different situations. And so that's sort of, you'll, you'll see that reflected more and more on this, this, uh, this year's report for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time to kind of talk through some of that with us. Um, to our audience, I've already gotten some great feedback via LinkedIn. You can also reach out to me via email, which will be linked below as well. If you have any feedback on our report, uh, we always love to hear from you, obviously. But as a reminder, you can head to our website in our thought leadership section, guides and reports. Those are where all of our reports lived, and you'll see the 2023 report in addition to being um, linked below and wherever you're viewing today. Um, so please take a minute, download it, use it as a checklist um, to ensure that you set yourself up for success with any sort of technology implementation or digital transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Be sure to download it. And I uh, would love to hear your feedback too. Any feedback you have on that or questions you have, uh, you you can reach out to either of us uh, on that. So I want to thank uh, you for helping us with another great episode, Kyler. And um, thank you to our other guests for being here today and to our audience for the great participation and comments and questions along the way. So thank you everyone. Uh, you can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all the audio podcast platforms. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a review. Any comments you have is very helpful, and we read and take that stuff very seriously. So we appreciate that. Um, hope you have a great week, and we will see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Take care. Mm -hmm.